This is Belonging, a podcast that explores being alive in the age of loneliness. I'm your host, Becca Piastrelli, a writer, mother, and community tender currently living on the ancestral lands of the Coast Miwok people in present-day Marin County, California. In this show, we explore topics like rites of passage, cultivating meaningful community, seasonal and cyclical living, and what it means to be a good ancestor in these times. I have thought-provoking conversations with friends, teachers, elders, and ancestral medicine keepers to help support you in bringing more meaning and connection to your life. I also pop in here and there to share updates and learnings from my own story, because we were meant to do this together, cosmically holding hands as we walk the spiral of life. You can expect to be challenged by new or old ideas, face your beliefs and what systems informed them, get curious and brave to tell the truth about the deeper, harder things, and feel comforted in the knowing that you don't have to navigate it all alone. Hi, friends. Welcome back to The Belonging Podcast. It's your host, Becca Piastrelli. Coming to you today on a sweltering day here on Coast Miwok land in Northern California, the San Francisco Bay Area. I think right now, let me check my phone. What is the temperature? It is 105 degrees Fahrenheit outside. So I'm making this quick because I'm roasting in my little she shed on the side of my house that I deeply appreciate, but it doesn't do well in the heat. To let you know about this next episode that I have for you, it's a very tender and sweet and real conversation with uh, someone who's become my friend, Claire Fole. Claire Fole is based in Australia, in Garrigal country. She's a mom, a creator, a space holder, a brink walker, an ocean lover, She works with EFT, the Emotional Freedom Technique, and Circle. She leads and teaches Circle and is an idea doula. So Claire reached out to me about postpartum depression, perinatal mood disorders. There are lots of words for it. I shared a solo episode, episode 101, about my journey with being diagnosed with delayed postpartum depression which I still feel like, is that just a lazy word for what I had? Is there actually, it just feels so much more complex than that. And I think Claire got it because she reached out to me and said, Hey, I had three kids and I had a diagnosis every time. And I think we should talk. I think we should talk about it. And so we're talking about madness as initiation to transformation, really taking this quote from Sharon Blackie in If Women Rose Rooted about madness being a perfectly natural response to the unendurable, which feels pretty intense and real and true for us when it came to the earth-shaking change and rite of passage that was becoming mothers and how, how it impacted us. So we talk about the moments beloved practitioners finally helped us see that we weren't okay, the strength it took to acknowledge our pain when so many people dismissed it, also the shame of acknowledging it, 
the ways our depression was separate from our love of our children and the power of letting your family witness how you take care of yourself. I talked to Claire about the powerful moment on her 40th birthday of when she shaved her head and the way she celebrated making through her 30s, which were characterized by gestation, birth, and recovery three times over. This is a conversation I'd imagine you share with with your friends who who have gone through tough parenting moments as a way of showing solidarity that they're not alone and a way to educate all of us on this very common experience that so many folks go through and isn't just relegated to the birth world that this is grief work in our in our time in our time living in these systems of oppression in our time of collapse in our time of um, isolation in this age of loneliness, it just really matters to me that we talk about these things more in ways that are witnessing to each other and not necessarily just trying to put band-aids over the wounds to really hear each other because that is where the healing is. So I will step aside and let you into the room where Claire Full and I talk about madness as initiation to transformation. So will you tell me what time it is where you are? It's 9.18 in the morning and it's a um, late winter's day, but it's sunny and the skies, they're big blue skies and the air's already changing. It's It's getting bigger and uh, warmer. So okay. How was your winter? It was a really wintry winter. I really wintered uh, deeply this year um, and I've loved getting out in in the mornings. I've always been a morning person, but I think I keep coming back to that. So a morning person and a, and a beach person. So uh, Right. You said that you woke up to watch the sunrise and to swim in the ocean. Mm, and mm, I remember when we, when I got in, when I interviewed, when I was interviewed by you several years ago on your mm, former podcast, you talked about it then too, because I remember being like goals. Mm, Is that a part of your practice? Totally. It, it's the place. And I found this word a few years ago, a couple of years ago, which is an old Irish word, um, ishka, which means like, the magic or the poetry that happens when you're on the brink, when you're on the the water's edge, and it put words to I think so much of what I, I love and walking the edge of the water and the edge of night and day and being there and I keep coming back to it. I forget and then I remember again and come back and like, oh yeah, here I am. Forgetting and remembering. That is mm. the the journey. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Hello, everyone. This is Claire Full, who I'm chatting with, who I deeply adore. Claire Full is Australian. She lives on in Garigal country. So what is that known to be? Garigal country is on the northern beaches of Sydney. I see. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wonderful. And thank you for orienting us to where you are. So Claire is a mom or a mum 
a writer, a creator, a homemaker, a space holder, a tapping EFT teacher, and a storyteller who holds circles and one-on-one sessions for folks. And Claire and I have been chatting for years uh, now, and um, and we're going to be chatting about uh, the postpartum experience of motherhood. Uh, but before we dive into that, we were just chatting about how your winter was. And before I hit record, I was like, it's so hot. I have to have AC on. I don't care if it makes a noise. I'm so hot here. And you're talking about emerging from winter with the blue skies. And I have been in this deep inquiry about how to breathe more wildness and space into email. And you have the most beautiful autoresponders on your emails. And I just... I realized they had changed because when we first started talking about this podcast episode, it's been a few months, your autoresponder was winter wanderings. And you talk about here in Garigal country, it is the depths of winter. The days are short. The nights are long and cold. The ocean is still warm, but the breeze is brisk. I can feel a quiet, steady clarity to my work. Spaciousness is the lens I view the world through. And you write about what you're working on and your offerings and sort of what your focus is. And then it changed to first blossoms and you talk about that. And it just feels like, oh my gosh, what a beautiful way to invite us in to the season and to our season and to the lands we live on. And I think it's really cool. So I first just want to say thank you for inspiring Everyone who emails you, and it's a spell. It's a spell to slow down and notice what's happening inside and out. I think that's so cool. Ah, oh, thank you. And thank you for noticing. Like, it takes slowness to notice, right? And, and when we notice, then we slow. So. When we slow and we notice. Yes. Beautiful. All right. So the main event is I announced to the world that I was diagnosed. I'm making it sound dramatic because it felt dramatic with officially by a doctor with delayed postpartum depression is what we call it up here. And that was a couple months ago. And I've just been narrating out loud, like what it is to have an almost two year old and to be quote, not okay yet. And like how the full experience The full experience of what that's like. And then you, Claire, you ahead of me on the motherhood path, you reached out and said, hey, I've got some stories that are similar and I'd love to talk about them with you in an open format because you really believe and have seen how, in your words, change-making and beautiful it is to be transformed by the madness before we hit record, you shared a Sharon Blackie quote. Is it from If Women Rose Rooted? Yeah. About madness being a sign of transition, an initiation, a precursor to transformation, a perfectly natural response to the unendurable. So I'm inviting us both. You really actually initiated this conversation. So we are inviting each other into this conversation about our madness and what it's alchemized in us. So Thank you for that invitation. And I invite you to begin wherever feels true. Ah, Thank you, Becca. It's, uh, I think for me in the, in the depths 
of darkness. I, I remember making this promise that when and if I got out of the darkness, I'd talk about it. And I love that, that I feel like in a season now of, of really sharing the story and, and I love when I've heard bits of your story where that weaves and braids and overlaps with mine and the places they're different as well. And I don't know about for you, but I, uh, my experience, my eldest is almost 12. And so back then I found that people uh, were talking about either like the amazing beauty, beauty of motherhood or just how hard it was, but not this middle place where I was finding, uh, I used to say, the magnificence and the messiness of motherhood. Okay, so your eldest is 12. She's about to turn 12, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so what did you experience? Uh, there's so many places these stories start, aren't there? I grew up being such a good girl and uh, thinking that being right and good were the, the most important things in life and that I could work and effort my way through. And so when we decided that we'd like to have a baby and I didn't fall pregnant straight away or for a year or more, I think that's where this story really begins. And back then I was I had really long hair that I straightened and I was so by the book. And uh, when I did fall pregnant and I loved being pregnant and was going to have this very natural birth and and then that all went pear-shaped uh, really quickly and no one told me it was a traumatic birth. And, and then life just felt really hard and I didn't realize that this wasn't normal, but it felt like the color had drained out of life. And I really thought that this is just how motherhood feels. And so I kept trying to do the things that I'd always done, being good and efforting, but it, it just kept being exhausting. And I just felt like it was in this pit that I'd get a little way out of and then fall back down again. And then uh, for some reason decided to book in with a psychologist when she was around 10 months old. And then a second, she told me I had postnatal depression, which is what we call it here. And I was like, no, I don't, and left and never went back. Um, and it wasn't until she was about a year, and so I'm so interested, Becca, um, that yours was, you know, a, it wasn't an immediate thing either, that I found another counsellor. A friend said, you should see this counsellor. And I saw her, and she had the wisdom to talk for weeks to me and listen before she said, I think you're tired because you're working so hard for this to be okay and you're mm. not okay. And it was just like such a moment of grace. And I was so interested and I wonder for you, Becca, where it sounded like you had a really similar moment to that of someone saying to you, this is, something's happening here. Yeah, well, you, you shared a written story with me before we recorded about being given the, the questionnaire. Oh, yeah, the Edinburgh, Edinburgh test. test, yeah. And my the, my daughter's pediatrician would give it to me every time, and I, too, lied. And mm. it wasn't like I was overtly like, I'm not going to tell them I'm not okay. I was like, I need to be okay. And also, I kept just hoping that I would be okay soon. So mm, yeah. I think that test is best of intentions, but I don't actually 
know how much it's really getting to the root. Absolutely. And I've heard following that, I, I have heard that it's actually a red flag of depression that you lie on the test. So I feel like there needs to be this final qualifying line of if you die. Right. On <laughs> just give me a, give me a jazz fingers and you know exactly um exactly mm. huh yeah there's probably a whole we could probably dive into that and i'm sure there are like wonderful doctors and therapists and counselors looking into that but yeah so that was not my way in was that test it mm. was my acupuncturist who mm just put a hand on my knee and said, yeah, very gently, you're not yourself. And we need you. We need you. We need you. The world, your community. That's what she said. Your community needs you. It wasn't just your baby. It was like, we all need you. And where are you? You're not yourself. Mm -hmm. And that, yeah, that got me to drop the sword and say, yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Mm. Yeah. How did that moment feel for you? Yeah. Uh, hearing you say that, I, I found some a letter that I wrote in that first year. And so I have three kids and each time I had postnatal depression. And um, But the first time was kind of the, the most unknown. And it was this letter. I was like, I just don't feel like myself. And coming back to that quote from Sharon Blackie where it's, I, I think postnatal depression, postpartum depression is is such a weaving of so many things because that transition to mother is a huge one and there's not a whole lot of rite of passage about it. When I had my first, she was in special care and I was in my room and I was wheeled to put my finger into her humidity crib and then wheeled back to my room and left there by myself. And I look back on that, I'm like, what a devastating mm. rite of passage to motherhood. Because mm. um, you had an emergency cesarean, yeah. I did, yeah. But no one said to me, no one ever said to me, that was traumatic, that's not normal, you know. Uh, how are you doing? How do you feel? And so when, for me, it was a, an amazing counsellor called Amanda when she finally said, you're not okay, it was the it was so much permission. I felt so seen mm. in that moment and just the relief. I can still feel it in my body. Everything like to not have to work so hard to pretend. And like you said, it's not that you're like, I'm going to get up and pretend today. But that was the only way that I knew to uh, kind of mm -hmm. get through. Yeah. I think, I mean, Surprise, surprise, I'm going to map this back to being villageless. And, mm -hmm. and what do I mean by that? I mean, human beings were not built to orient to each other through screens only. And, uh, this, I mean, you and I live in, you know, like the industrialized world and, mm -hmm the real mode of success and, and the most respectful, dignified way to live the most like the way you've achieved life is alone is with your partner and your children alone in a home that, you know, mm -hmm. hopefully you have a mortgage on, you know, and 
I'm not going to make a commentary on that whole thing, although I have a lot to say. <laughs> Just about this one way in which it fails the humans who have the babies. <laughs> and I, what I felt, and I honestly, what I continue to feel at times is this with everyone sort of in the distance and sharing their mostly joys on, you know, how do we know about how each other are doing social media, you know, maybe a walk in the park, maybe, you know, but I became a mother when we we were afraid to leave our homes. And so I really, it got, the reality got distorted in an even deeper way, like sleep deprivation and breastfeeding distorts reality. And then I felt it further distorted by this, this real belief that everyone else had it figured out or, or everyone else was fine, was, was carrying on. There was a sense of like, they just added a baby to their lives and kept moving. Whereas Mm -hmm. I felt this very complex, nuanced experience of like, yes, this beloved child who I love so much and feel deeply bonded to is here. And I'm not okay. And like, we have these beautiful moments and I share them on social media and I'm not sharing the other ones. And when I do share them, I immediately feel extremely vulnerable. And I had a belief that I was like scaring people. Like I, like, somehow people Mm. were like, I would get these messages like, um, uh, it's worth it (laughs) for your beautiful daughter. Uh, it's so beautiful too. these, these moments are fleeting and I just felt so erased. I felt my experience Mm. so erased and what did help were messages like yours and others who were like, it's madness. It's very complicated and it's, and it's often deeply unnameably painful and i yeah just deep sigh like right yeah and the two pieces in there becca that i i hear and i pick up like i've always said this was never about the kids Mm -hmm. like my love for them is so fiercely deep this was always about me this was this was my stuff and now they're getting big enough that we talk oh, about beautiful. it. And, and you know, I, I just want them to know, like, this was mine. This was never about you. But also that piece, and I think this is why I, I found Circle after after my three bouts, my three dances with uh, postnatal depression. I didn't want to tell people because I felt like I had to hold them and I had to hold their fear for me and their questions and their worry. And, and so I didn't share. And so that then just added to the shame mm. and the eating up and, uh, and not talking about it. So I, I just kept it inside and just kept going with doing it myself. Um, and like you said, there's maybe if you're really lucky, you have some other mums around you. But they're also in the midst of their stuff and and even if it's not postnatal depression, they're they're tired and there's years when you don't get to finish a single yes. conversation. And so you can't go deep and talk about this stuff. Plus I felt like such a whinger all the time. I just felt so negative and like why couldn't I just be grateful? Why couldn't 
I get myself out of this hole and just be enjoying this thing that was the single most thing that I wanted in my life since I was a little girl. And that just made it more shameful, you know, like it just keeps eating you from inside out. So I really hear you. It's so insidious. Yeah. And and listening to you, listening to me, I have this real sense of how this experience of motherhood in the overculture has been like flattened into like, you know, pick three, like it's, it's beautiful or it's bad. And it's like, cannot, can we not like any rite of passage, like any growing thing, you know, like any bit of mycelium, like any tree root, like it's moving in all these directions and it's going up and down and parts of it are dying and parts of it are being reborn. And can we just widen our perspective? to support each other and to, yeah, give ourselves grace Yeah, in all of that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it is I'm coming more and more to see that, like, the relationships of of people, but in, in this, like, of, of women of that slightly older woman is just, like, so, so missing in there and uh the ones who can say both yes i hear you i remember that and also it's going to be okay but not in a bypassing way that like i'm I'm sitting here i'm listening with you Mm -hmm. and i wonder for you becca like as you as you traverse these this journey as you're dancing it what are or are there beautiful bits to it are there are there pieces of gold spun in there um, along with the really dark bits as well? Mm. I was about to ask you the same question. <laughs> uh, well, with I'm I'm on the upswing, so I can definitely mine the gold. I don't like that term, mine the gold, huh? I can mm-hmm. spot, harvest. yeah, harvest the gold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as I get more and more, as I, I just care for myself more and more and I resource myself as the ground comes back under my feet. As you say, the color returns. Yes. Oh, yeah. I love saying like I'm cellularly restructured, like I am reborn, I am this new being and I I think I really like her. I think I really like her. And I'm still I feel very new new in all of this. Like I keep wondering like in the whole rite of passage philosophy of like being through the liminal on the other side like crossing through the threshold and being seen as changed. I'm like have I fully stepped over the threshold? I'm starting to feel like I want people to look at me, like, look at me. I am different now. And like, ask me how, you know? So, and maybe Mm -hmm. six months ago, I, I was like, don't look at me. I'm like, I'm so in pain. I'm struggling. I'm insecure. I'm paranoid. I'm neurotic. I'm anxious. I'm exhausted. And I had people look at me and hold me in such tenderness then. So I think one of the one of the brightest bits of gold that I can really feel is true. 
about me is like less bullshit, <laughs> like mm. a real sense of being. My friend Stephanie last week called me a fire harnesser. Like this real sense of like, I have given birth to a human. I am extremely powerful and I am strong and uh, I have no patience for any of the bullshit or the harm. I definitely can see why so many mothers become activists. And my partner and I have, he's, he's actually going through a very similar experience of having a child. Uh, he's 40 having a child like these like later years, as far as like human becoming a parent as a human being is he's just like, Oh, what is life really about? So we're having these conversations. I've been just dying to have where we are talking about the real deal about purpose and meaning and um, legacy. That's pretty cool. That's good. JC stuff. So I have the same question for you and I'm dying to know about when and why you shaved your head. Oh yeah. So I think that's a good kind of end point. I think for me that my years of, of early motherhood of, of postnatal depression and all that came with it, it was, it like, completely changed the trajectory of my life. It was a complete cracking open in every way. And uh, it taught me to live through my heart instead of my head, which had served me really well for 30 years. And um, uh, just all, all the little pieces out of, out of the darkness. And when I Last year I created a deck of cards called Spacious and it was only as I finished them that I realized that it was a love letter from me at 40 to me back at 30 in the midst of, of these dark times of like, here's, here's the stepping stones. Here's how we come through this. And it was tiny things that was, um, you know, like how to name emotions. I didn't know until um, my 30s, how to name how I was feeling. And that following curiosity is a really magical, powerful thing. And, and that noticing and, and even walking, getting in the ocean. And yeah, as hearing you say that I like this woman I've become, I feel like that I just turned 41. So it was like, oh, that was... That was big in the lead up to 40. I was really wondering, did I want to celebrate this or what was it about? And when I looked back over the last 10 years and that was kind of all my child rearing time of child bearing and having, and I was like, God, I want to celebrate mm. that. Like, I can't believe I made it through that decade. I, I just wanted to get a cake and ride on top. Like, yeah. I made it. And so as I was approaching 40, one thing that I'd always really wanted to do was to shave my head. It was this wild curiosity whim that, that just whispered. And I was like, oh, I couldn't. And I now know that when I hear that voice, that it's like, oh, go there. Um, this very like primitive, oh, I couldn't possibly. And, uh, 
it took so much depths of building my capacity to get to the point of doing it. I was so worried what everyone else would say. And that was like in the lead up to doing it, I had nights where I didn't sleep, just worrying, worrying, worrying about it. Um, And then on the eve of my 40th, literally the day before, I got it done. And when she turned me around to kind of, when it was finished, I was like, oh, I look beautiful. And I knew I wanted to do it, but I didn't expect to like it. And I, I loved it. And then the next day, literally on my 40th birthday, we went into lockdown uh, for months and months. And I never got to celebrate my 40th, but I was so glad that I had shaved my head. And, And it was the perfect lockdown hair as well. But the thing that I love as well is the kind of the end of that story is that as we came to the end of lockdown, I realized, we realized as a family, we weren't ready for the kids to go back to school. And so we pulled them out and decided to homeschool. And I realized that all of the worry that I'd gone into shaving my head had actually prepared me for this decision, which, and suddenly it didn't feel like a big decision. I didn't worry about what other people would say. But how it winds into this story is that for a, what would have been 10, 16 weeks, the kids were home and I felt like we got to reweave early childhood. Um, I just got to enjoy them and it really felt like a do-over of the time that I'd missed because of postnatal depression. It really, really brought back some really um, scattered pieces of my heart in that time. And it was so tender when they wanted to go back to school, but a friend lovingly pointed out that they'd walked with me and had kind of said, Mom, you can you can keep doing this. It was beautiful and it led to so much more. And what I love as well is when I did it, the number of people who said, I want to shave my head. And I know a couple of those people have gone on to do it, but it's those unsaid things like it's such a bizarre weird and I say that in the in I love being weird but like what is this craving that we have and that many of us have to shave our head and it it just kind of speaks to me of the unspoken things that are there connecting us so mm, yeah yeah to me it just it feels like a ritual because our hair holds so much memory it's like the cells of all those experiences held in the hair and a real claiming of completeness with you know and and love and grief and appreciation for those experiences and then a letting go a real rebirth moment how beautiful how liberating it really was yeah and I've still got, I'm looking at it now, the hairs in a bag because I wanted to kind of put it somewhere um, yeah. naturally and just haven't got around Do to it. Do you have any ideas? Uh, yes. Yeah. And isn't that, there's a beach where my mum 
um, used to go when she was little, and we I really feel my grandparents there, and and so that was kind of my my place. But also that we moved in just before lockdown to a new home. We live in the this. 70 um, townhouses here where we live and so I really wanted to belong myself to this land and and so that was another piece of it Um, so yeah you know just I remember listening to people talk and all of life sounded so beautiful and so I really bring that in with reference as well of like oh yeah and I haven't gone to that you know like it's not all beautiful it's messy (laughs) and I forget to do things and like I'll get there sometime yeah Yeah. I cut eight inches off my hair about a year into postpartum and I remember I told my hairstylist to like put it in a bag and she thought I was so weird and I almost didn't do it for the sake of not having that awkward interaction and I'm so glad I didn't listen to that part of myself and this is when I was getting like the awkward hair regrowth, the like awkward bangs at the mm. top of your hairline. And so I had a lot of feelings about vanity and hair. It feels like that's a, that's like mm-hmm. a thing in motherhood is hair. And then I ended up burying it in the garden. Mm. And a, a friend in my women's circle said, you're introducing it to the land spirits, the mycelium and belonging yourself to the land. I also gave birth on this land. I gave birth at home and it looks like we're going to be leaving this home soon. And I'm just so happy that my hair's here, you know, Mm. to, to seed that time, you know? I love that. Mm -hmm. I love that. Okay. So how did you choose to have two more children? Like, Mm. you knew it was going to happen again? You didn't? Uh, I didn't know that it would, that the postnatal would come back. I, um, we were laughing about this the other day. We, I always wanted three kids, but, um, after the first, uh, Nina, I was like, I, I cannot imagine ever having any more kids. You know, I, I, I can't imagine that I could do this again. And Simon, my husband, says, we we had conversations about having another baby, um, but I don't remember that, um, which, you know, says more about my kind of mm. presence. Um, and about not even six months after I'd gone on antidepressants, because I did go on antidepressants, Simon said, do you think you should take a pregnancy test? And I was like, What? And lo and behold, I was pregnant. And so that's how our second bubble came to be, Audie. And we'd already just agreed to go over to London for six months for a work project. And so that was kind of wild. And and I wanted everything to be completely different to the first time because I was like, I can micromanage Mm. my way through this. Um, I kind of tried to natural my way through the first one. That didn't work. So I'm going to micromanage my way through the second but three months into it, Simon and my doctor both said, it's mm. back. And it wasn't scary that time to go, cool, I know what to do. And and she was here to teach me how to have fun. And so it was a much more, it was a really different um, bout that second time. And then we weren't sure if we would have a third or not. And we did, we decided to. And then I 
the depression came while I was pregnant, which was really tough. And so I went on to antidepressants. And um, when I went back from the six-week checkup after the third, my uh, obstetrician said, there's not many people who go for a third after they've had postnatal depression twice. And I was like, oh, I didn't even think of it. I didn't know, A, that it would happen, but um, it wasn't enough to make me not want to have the kids. Wow. So. Because um, the kids are separate. Yeah, they're, they're so separate. Different. It's in a different category, right? Mm-hmm. But they are intertwined, right? With one comes the other. Yeah. I mean, that is just, that sounds like deep devotion and surrender and sacrifice <laughs> yeah right which is motherhood right yeah mm-hmm. wow yeah i'm i'm not sure if i could do it again mm. and we'll see no one's knocking atlas was knocking for years yeah. no one's knocking right now so mm. I, I just have decided we're going day by day and focusing so deeply on care of self because that's what I want Atlas yeah. to see her parents do care for themselves, you know. Totally, totally. I, uh, as you say that, I'm just remembering there was a birthday card Nina wrote oh. to me. Um, uh, sorry, it must have been a Mother's Day card that isn't here, but she said something on it about, Mom, you're so good at taking care of yourself and us. And I was just Whoa. like, Whoa. I just got seen. And it's me um, too, pretty hard. Wow. Yeah. It makes a difference, you know, like it's truly the most important role in the world, I really feel. Um, we're literally making the future. And um, so it's kind of understandable that that'll shake things up a little, right? Yeah. And it takes something. It takes something to birth the future. Yeah. Mm. So how do you care for yourself as a mother of three? As a mom of three, I, uh, oh God, I, I hated for so many years the words of care. <laughs> like, you know, people be like, do something nice for yourself. And, and especially at the beginning, I'd be like, I don't know what I like to do. That was this huge pain of mine where I was like, I don't even know. Um, like motherhood just ripped me apart so much that I, someone would babysit the kids and I would go to the mall and walk around and not even know what shop to go in. And that kind of just sums up how liminal I was. But I didn't have words for it back then. But to take care of myself now, I... This morning I got up and I went for a walk and a swim and I pulled a card and I try and go as slowly as possible and um, I write and I follow the things that I'm curious about at the moment. It's gardening and really I've come to know that my my way of being is, is very everyday. It's it's not kind of going off and doing things. It's it's finding the the nourishment, the magical moments. So I, I often feel like walking the kids to school is uh, is the meaning of life. Um, mm. 
So it's, yeah, that's what, and, and having space help for me many, many times through the month. Um, Do you have a circle? I have a, I sit in circle and I hold mm. circles and I have a beautiful tapping teacher, a tapping mentor who holds me. She, we had a session yesterday for 90 minutes and beautiful friend, lots of, of different people. I have found that being held and being able to just be listened to, be seen, be asked good questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hear what my body's telling me. Yes. Yeah. Oh, how inspiring. Mm. How about for you? I have a circle that holds me. We meet once a month. I want more. I need more of that. So I'm seeking that out. Mm. I've started hosting gatherings, seasonal gatherings at my house, but I'm, I'm, and I'm working on not being in hostess mode so that I can receive mm. not just. Uh, you know, the accolades of hosting a great gathering, but being in it and receiving from it. That's, mm. So that's an edge I'm walking right now. I got a personal trainer, which was a big, like, oh, I can't do that. But I did. And I, I lift heavy weights and it very feels very good to my body and a real release. And I now try to almost always, I try to work with mothers, like, I want you to be a woman and I want you to have a child in order for me to feel like held by you right now. So my therapist, my personal trainer, our couples therapist, like I just need them to be a parent. (laughs) So Mm. there is that understanding that like nod, that isn't just an empty nod, but a nod of like, I hear you. I have been Mm. there. Uh, And then right now, I'm also working on resourcing myself in the morning before my child wakes up. That's why I'm very inspired by your morning swims. I have mm. felt desperate for sleep in like the first 18 months of, of her life. And we've crossed over until like, I think I could probably get up early and drink tea and meditate and pull cards and journal. So that's, I'm entering into that time now of like morning me time. Because I'm, I'm really mm-hmm. focusing on moving away from a reactionary life of just response, response, mm-hmm. response, 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 response. And my mornings were starting with mm-hmm. like nursing, breakfast, getting, you know, putting clothes on. And it just really hasn't been working for me. Uh, yeah. And it feels like a, an opportunity ripe for shifting. So because mm-hmm. that starts the whole day. Yeah, yeah. I hear you so much on that. It takes me back to those those l- little years, and I still have days like that where if I get woken up by one of the kids just needing something, like the there was years there where the soundtrack was, what about me? Like, what about me? Where do I fit? Where do I get my time? And so I find now, even if it's, two minutes of I, I literally have my cards next to my bed so that I can roll over and pull that before anything else. So it's like, okay, spacious. I get spacious before something else. Um, and then if, even if it's two or five minutes, it's that that I have had space before anyone else gets some of me. Um, 
And I know that's not always possible. As I'm saying that, I, I remember this post or this scene of me sitting with Lulu on my lap watching Peppa Pig and me trying to <laughs> meditate. But just sometimes right, that's what it looks right. like, right? It's I will use whatever I can to get that for me, knowing that the trajectory of the day is completely different when that happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I used to try to meditate while I nursed. And um, now I now my I stare into her eyes, because we're <laughs> which is beautiful. And she's a quiet nurser in the morning, and we're weaning. So I'm like, oh, this is really precious. Makes me very emotional to think about ending that. And so mm-hmm. I used to like check out, and now we we eye gaze. Mm-hmm. It's really awesome, mm-hmm. and we're quiet together. <laughs> I love that. And as the mom of an almost 12-year-old, that just like spins into the future. Uh, that like, ah, uh, we can be here together in this space quietly. What a what a place to um what a what a texture to weave into your relationship, the two mm-hmm. of you. Oh goodness, this was very sweet and comforting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and my my real prayer here is I know there are mothers and parents listening right now who are struggling. I know because they write me. Mm. Um, and I know there are folks listening who are planning for, for parenthood. And mm-hmm. I know there are folks listening who it's been a while since they were young parents and it was hard. So may mm-hmm. this provide... Um, solidarity and yeah yeah that's what as you were saying that i just like imagine people holding hands it's like i promise you you're not alone you know like um and not not to sugarcoat anything like they're they're in in the mess of it all and the magnificence of it all Mm -hmm. with you yeah maybe come back together and sharing our stories. That's that's the medicine for sure. Claire Fole, thank you. I adore you. I appreciate you. I appreciate how you've been a constant companion across the seas. And and um yeah, if people want to know more about you, should they go to your website, Claire C L A R E F O A L E Clairefole dot com. That's the one. Or Instagram. I'm on there, you know, more regularly. So, yeah. And this deck you keep talking about, the spacious card deck. I have one. Mm. It's beautiful. I Mm -hmm. recommend it. We'll link to that in the show notes. Thanks. Thank you. And thank you for all your wonder and wonderfulness in the world. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining me. In a time when our attention is being pulled in so many different directions, it means a lot that you took time out of your day to spend it with me and in these important conversations. For show notes and links and more information about my guests, you can head to belongingpodcast.com. And if you'd like to hear more from me and get access to my free newsletter called Slow and Seasonal, you can head to beccapiastrelli.com slash subscribe. 